Welcome to the City Church Cardiff podcast. We're an Elim Pentecostal church in the centre of Cardiff, dedicated to bringing hope in the name of Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you're inspired and impacted by this message. It's a, it's a great pleasure, pleasure and privilege to gather this morning as we come to the fourth in our seven-part preaching series on the words of Jesus from the cross. And this morning we're looking at some words uh, recorded in Mark chapter 15 and verse 34. And let's go straight uh, to them. Uh, you will find them in Mark 15:34, and they will uh, be on the screen. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, these are hard words to hear. Uh, from anyone, but certainly from Jesus, who's saying he is experiencing forsakenness. We know that this event is historically accurate. We have the four gospel records, Roman and Jewish historians. We know Jesus died on the cross. We also know, for those who follow him and look to him, that as we believe what he said and what he did there, it changes us. It has spiritual significance. But, but I have to confess to you, I have found looking at these texts actually really quite hard. Because yes, they're historically accurate. Yes, they changed my life and yours. But actually, these are words from our personal saviour and friend. And perhaps you, like me, find it both challenging, inspiring, yes, but quite painful to consider hearing what a friend, a loved one of ours is saying as they suffer and die. A couple of weeks ago, Sean mentioned how her preparation for preaching was quite emotional. And I have to put my hand on my heart and say, it's been a bit like that for me as well, to the extent that I don't really want to pause and gaze to hear my friend and saviour Jesus say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because the cry of a forsaken life is a heartfelt, deep and profoundly broken cry. But the scriptures demand us to pause and to listen and to look. The weight of the gospel texts themselves are towards the cross of Calvary and this wonderful work of our Savior Jesus. To a great truth that I want to put before us this morning, that Jesus was forsaken, that we can be accepted that we can know that Jesus gave his life and gave his all, that you and I can be received into the household of God, the kingdom of heaven, the eternal joy with God, and that we are wanted and we are loved. Whatever voices you've heard over your lives at whatever time, from whoever they may be, people in authority, complete strangers, know this today, that through Jesus and his love for you and me, you're accepted and welcomed by him. He takes us just as we are. But praise God, he doesn't leave us that way. Uh, he washes us, he cleanses us, he fills us with his spirit, he inspires us to life anew. Jesus was forsaken that we can be accepted. 
And I want to look at this in a little more detail now from three vantage points. Before, we're going to look back a thousand years before the cross. We're going to look at this moment when Jesus said these words. As he's dying, when he says these words, what is happening to the Son of God here? And then thirdly, we're going to spend a little time thinking about what this truth can mean for us uh, and our world today. So before then. In fact, a thousand years before. Um, Jesus is actually quoting a psalm here. And he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this psalm of David was written out of a life where David knew what it was to be forsaken, um, both by his own fault and sin, but also as a result of the evil and hostility brought through others. And after the heights of Israel under David and Solomon, the nation crumbles. If you read two chronicles, we get a catalog of the kings of Israel who did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And God's grace was pushed away and the kingdom would collapse. And in 586 BC, God's people, his covenant, chosen people, were wrenched out of their home, wrenched out of their story of redemption and sent into exile in Babylon. They knew what forsakenness truly was. Now, I need a volunteer at this point. I'm, I'm looking for a good-looking Scotsman. What, Stephen Gibson, would you be my volunteer, please? Now, Stephen knows that this is coming, but he's not quite sure what exactly is coming. And uh, I, I've chosen Stephen for lots of wonderful reasons, and uh, one will become apparent in a moment. It's lovely to see you. Thank you very much. Now, I, I'm going to attempt to sing some lines from some songs, okay? Now, I'm going to start off and sing a line, and, and if you know what comes next, I, I'd like you to, to sing. Is that, is that okay? So, I'll start off. Okay. So, guide me, O thou great Redeemer. <laughs> Outstanding. Give him a clap. Well done. <laughs> Okay, this one's a little bit more context-specific, okay? <laughs> you take the high road and I'll take the low road and I'll be in Scotland afore ye when you, me and my true love will never meet again. On the bonny, bonny banks all at home and... Outstanding, well done, jolly good. <laughs> a bit of fun. I couldn't get the accent, but thank you for bearing with my, my attempt. Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? A cry of the heart. But for those who had ears to hear, they knew what would come next. And there are two things happening here. And on the cross, there are two things happening to Jesus. Let's look at these words, verses 1 to 5 of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning, oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praise of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. The words of the opening section of this psalm declare two powerful truths simultaneously. A cry of the heart of forsakenness, yet hope in a God in whom we will never be disappointed. God is sufficient. 
The work of the cross is a finished work, an all-encompassing work. Jesus is the hope and saviour of the world. And here we find these two things, two wonderful, powerful and glorious things taking place. Further in this psalm, verses 7 and 8 and 15 to 18, we find that this truth is anchored at the foot of Calvary. Verses 7 and 8, they say, all who seek me mock me. Did they not mock Jesus? They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. And later in verses 15 through to 18, I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. As we read the accounts of our Saviour's crucifixion, we, these, we find these prophetic biblical words of Psalm 22 rooting these truths of both forsakenness and yet a God in whom we find no disappointed grounded there at the foot of Calvary. Prophetic words spoken that would find their fulfillment on the cross of Christ. So let's now consider that very moment that Jesus spoke. I want us to look at a painting now, which is um, by Salvador Dali, and it's called Christ of St. John of the Cross. It's in the Kelvin Grove Art Gallery and Museum um, in Glasgow. And I hadn't seen it, but Stephen was telling me um, he stood in front of it, and it, it's enormous, 12 foot high, as, as high as from this platform to the, the ceiling line here. It's a huge painting. Now, as we look at it, our gaze, I suggest, is drawn to the figure of Christ crucified. His head is bowed down, note. We can't see his face. There's no personal, intimate eye contact here. And our vantage point as a viewer of this art is from above, perhaps the vantage point that the Father would hold. And there's a separation, there's a brokenness here. And yet in the distance, we see the Galilee, the fisherman's boat. There's a few fishermen around as well, maybe looking, alluding to uh, John 21, where the risen Jesus would meet with the disciples. So in, the, in this artwork, I suggest we see two things happening also. The forsaken, crucified saviour yet hope in what would yet come in the goodness of God. Because here on the cross, Jesus will know, he did know, separation from the Father. It was the weight of his suffering that breaks him and breaks this divine intimacy. But critically, this is not permanent. Jesus had known that he would go to the Father. He knew that he would leave uh, this world. And I want us to take care to see how clearly this was in his own teaching and self-understanding. If we look at John 14, 28 and 16, 10 and 17, look what Jesus says here. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father. He knew that the cross wasn't the end. He knew he was going to the Father. And then in John 2.19, Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it again. 
in Luke 18, 31 to 33. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spat upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day, he will rise. Again, Mark 9, 31, Jesus said, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus knew he knew that this would not be the end. But at this moment of forsakenness, his intimacy with the Father is broken. Now, classically, we understand the fourfold suffering of Christ in, in these ways, which I'll touch on briefly. And if I went too fast through those scriptures, get your remote at home and just flap the screen back and you'll catch up with them. The suffering of Jesus broke him. And we understand that suffering as fourfold. The physical pain, the abandonment, the weight of sin, and the punishment of God's just wrath. The Bible never claims that the death of Jesus was the worst death that any human would ever die. But certainly crucifixion was brutal. Seneca, a member of the Roman Senate in the first century, described crucifixion like this. He said it was drawing the breath of life amid long, drawn-out agony. It was the death of a criminal. And what crucifixion brought was suffocation. Jesus' back had been flogged, the skin had been open, he was nailed through his hands and his feet. The agony was extraordinary. The suffering physically was extreme. And in addition to this, then, is the suffering of the abandonment, the separation from the Father, the sweetest fellowship that Jesus knew was with his heavenly Father. Do you remember in John 14, 15, and 17, Jesus talks to Thomas. He says, Thomas, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It's as if we're exactly the same, and so they were, and so they are. And yet at this point, that closest of belonging and participation was broken. And thirdly, then, the weight of human sin. Jesus carried the guilt and the shame of human sin. All our mistakes, all our foolishness, all the complete hash that we've made of life, from the youngest of age to the oldest of age. All the sin, all the shame, all the guilt, Jesus carries on the cross. There's an older. Uh, Sunday school ditty, isn't there? Who nailed Jesus to the tree? It was not the Roman soldiers. It was the sins of you and me. And we need to remember here that Jesus was holy. He was without sin. Sin was anathema to him. He hated it with every fiber of who he was. He came to overcome it and deal with it. Yet he chose to bear our sin in his very being out of love for you and me. You see, the suffering is growing. The pain is vast. The separation is extraordinarily sharp. 
the weight of sins, guilt and shame is crushing. And then Jesus does the greatest act of love. He said, you do not have to take what your rebelliousness and mess of things deserve. I will substitute for you. I will atone for you. You do not have to go to that cross. I will die in your place because I have loved you since before you were born and I will love you all your days. And the just punishment of God's wrath rested upon his body as he died. In 1 John 4.10 we find these words. John says, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And back in Isaiah 53, we find the truth that the sins, our sins, were laid on him. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? On this image that we saw, the painting of Salvador Dali, is a broken man. But as Jesus knew, so we knew that this is not the end. You see, Jesus was forsaken so we can be accepted. And as is the vast extent of his forsakenness and brokenness, is the vast extent and generosity of the love and life of God to restore and heal you and I. So afterwards, it is just good news, glorious news. We sit here bathed in a truth that is transformational from now unto eternity. Now, I don't know whether you've ever been left out or forsaken. Uh, I, as a light-hearted story, I was rubbish at soccer as a kid. I'm still rubbish at soccer. I'm not very good with ball coordination at all. And, uh, and I don't know what school was like for you, but we'd get a break time. You'd, you'd pile down on the, on the yard, and, and a gang of kids would come together, and you get the two best soccer players. They'd be the captains, yeah? Or netball, or whatever you, whatever you play, any kind of game. And they would choose their teams and take it in turn. Now, I worked out that if there was an even number of kids against the wall, I'd get a game, okay? I'd be the last one, and they'd say, okay, perfect, you're in goals. Don't let the ball through your legs. But if there was an odd number, they'd choose their teams, and they'd get their even numbers, and they'd just walk off. Now, when you're eight, that's difficult. <laughs> I can assure you I got over it. But there are times in life as adults where people don't do what we expect them to do. They criticize us because of what we might look like or where we were born or something somebody else in our family did. Or they just downright mean and we don't know why. We, we're pushed out and excluded for sometimes no rationale or logic that we could ever understand this size of heaven. But this morning, I want you to hear a profound truth, that all of that is a complete lie. Because Jesus died and was forsaken, the swap is that you are accepted by him and allow his voice, I pray, to be the loudest voice you'll ever hear. You are welcome here. You are welcome in the household of God, not just physically, 
but you can find a home and a safety and a love and an identity in Christ that builds us up and allows us to flourish in the things of God. Last week, Dominic reminded us so clearly that we all live for eternity. (laughs) These bodies of ours will end, but we've got a choice. We can go to the paradise of God, that, that wonderful place of joy everlasting with Jesus, or the alternative is to go to Hades and hell and suffer in agony. In the last year, 120,000 people and more in this country have died unexpectedly. And in our world, millions more. And friends, I want to appeal to you today, if you were to take your last breath, do you know that you're going to glory with Jesus? Do, do you have assurance that you know that you know that you know? And if not, then this morning, just reach out to Jesus. A turning in your heart, whatever life is going through or has done, just turn now and say, Jesus, I come to you. Thank you that you accept me. I'm sorry for making a mess of all that I've done. I'm going to invite Louise, my wife, to come and share very briefly an account of somebody that we knew a little while ago for whom, for whom this truth of being accepted changed her life. Uh, we lived in Newport for quite a while and I got friends with a girl called Sandy and um, she'd had a really rough life and uh, she'd suffered bereavement and other losses and uh, things just compounded together and... Um, So I used to take her for a coffee or take her somewhere in the car. And um, she got very poorly and she was admitted into the Gwent Hospital into high dependency. And I went to visit her and uh, she wanted a cigarette. So I pushed her out of the wheelchair (laughs) and um, she she knew she was really poorly uh, because a friend of hers had died the year before and she was only 26. And um, they got into a habit of drinking really heavily. And um, when you drink white cider, you don't really last long. Um, so she was talking about this, and uh, I just said, well, Sandy, you know, do you want to just make your peace with God? Uh, do you want to just put things right with him? And she, and she did. So we just, um, we just prayed a simple prayer, and... The presence of God just came down as I prayed for that really heavy peace of God that his love just enfolding her and and she was completely stock still and um, not even an eyelid flickered or a finger and you just knew that she was with God and he had met her and so I just waited and um, and it was about five minutes but it felt like ages and uh, she just beamed and her whole face was completely different she was radiant with love and you just knew that Jesus had come and said I love you Sandy you're mine you're now in my family Um, so didn't need to say anything just squeezed her hand and um, pushed her back in again and uh, she then day next day or two she fell unconscious and she went into um, intensive care and she, she died in the week. I've stood here this morning and I've read to you from the word of God. I've tried to explain what Jesus was doing. But I guarantee you that the gospel works. And Jesus is alive. 
and now is a safe time. If you've ever lived in that place of rejection and just forsakenness, this morning, through the living Lord Jesus and the power of his spirit, who never forces his work upon us, but is here. And if, if you need that touch of heaven today, now is the time. To allow the Holy Spirit to come, to thank him that he's come, and to know that you are accepted by God, and to hear that as the loudest voice in your life, because it's the eternal truth. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. To find out more, visit our website at citychurchcardiff.com or find us on social media.